0: Africa, rise and shine. (music) Africa, zoda. Africa, amuka na ungai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to far west Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Lohoko and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, The African Union will not intervene militarily in Burundi. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon visits drought-stricken areas in Ethiopia. And U.S. Congressman discusses the adoption of Congolese children with authorities in the DRC. In economics, a South African automobile association wants a fuel price hike. And in sports news, Football Kenya Federation ordered to get registered and comply with the 2013 Sports Act. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa, Chairperson of the African Union. Idris debut of Chad has encouraged member states to use dialogue to solve problems. He concluded the 26th summit of the AU in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The meeting mainly discussed political crises in Burundi, South Sudan and Burkina Faso, as well as terror attacks in Somalia, Nigeria and Kenya. Derby speaking through an interpreter elaborates.
3: I would like to appeal that we take stock of all these issues that seriously undermine our progress and development. Much as we need to be firm against terrorism and internal crisis in the States, the key word should be dialogue. We can no longer tolerate that thousands of Africans die because of political struggles. And we are going to follow with keen interest and great vigilance the development of the situation in these countries, particularly in Burundi and South Sudan.
2: At least 65 people have been killed in an attack by Boko Haram near Nigeria's northeastern city of Maiduguri. News agency Reuters says its reporter counted the bodies in a hospital morgue. Military spokesperson Mustafa Anka says militants attacked Delori about five kilometers of Maidaguri. In Egypt, four members of the country's security forces have been killed in two separate bomb explosions in the country's volatile Sinai Peninsula. Both attacks targeted the country's military personnel. In one attack, a remotely controlled bomb hit a vehicle belonging to the region's police forces, killing two police officers. The attack happened in the far northeast of Egypt in the Rafah region. The other bomb attack killed an army officer and a soldier in the Shigzawit region of Northern Sinai. No individual or group has claimed responsibility for the attacks. South Sudan's exiled rebel leader Rahik Machar says they've reached a deadlock in drafting a new transitional constitution on which the transitional government of national unity will be formed. He was speaking in an interview at his hideout in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. Machar accused President Silvaker's government of violating the agreement brokered by EGAD and South Africa. Machar also denounced the increased number of states from 10 to 28.
4: Teams working on this process have reached more or less a deadlock, particularly one issue, the number of states in South Sudan. The agreement is the place that the number of states is 10, the existing ones. But Since October the 2nd, President Selva has declared 28 states, which is ultra-virus, to the agreement. It's a violation and it is an obstacle to getting a constitution. If we don't have a constitution, it would be difficult to form a government.
2: And finally, international donors have failed to deliver $1.9 billion in promised funds to help West African countries recover from the Ebola epidemic that killed more than 11,000 people. The UK-based charity organisation Oxfam has called on donors and the governments of Sierra Leone, Liberia and Guinea, the three hardest hit countries, to provide detailed information on how aid is being provided. The international community already has been criticised for how it handles the crisis more than 5 billion dollars was pledged by the international community as part of a special international Ebola recovery conference in New York last July that's the news headlines at 830 central african time
0: africa rise and shine africa tz africa amika na This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silosi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Newly elected African Union Chairperson Chad's President Idris Derby has called for closer cooperation on terrorism and the respect for human rights. In his closing remarks, he underlined the need to strengthen efforts in addressing crisis in the countries affected by conflict. A 26th Ordinary Session of the AU Heads of State and Government was held at the headquarters of the Pan-African Bloc in Ethiopia's capital, Addis
5: Ababa, over the weekend. was there and Faldo's report. The 26th African Union Summit has wrapped up after deliberating under the theme 2016 African Year of Human Rights with particular focus on rights of women. However, regional peace and security dominated the talks with Burundi at the forefront of debates. In his closing remarks, newly elected chairperson and president of CHAT Idris-Debi Idno said the African Union should be playing a leading role in the endeavors made to address challenges of all forms on the African continent.
3: Today, more than ever before, African Union should be in the forefront to prevent and to help our countries that are in crisis, but also to promote peace, development and integration all actions that will fulfill the aspirations of our peoples. In the course of my term of office, I shall try to be concrete and also to be as close as possible to the expectations of our peoples.
5: He says human rights and the rights of women should be at the forefront of government's priorities.
3: Human rights and particularly the rights of women, the main theme of this summit, should be even at the very core and heart of our national agendas and programs. We have the tools and the mechanisms to implement them and to have them observed at the national as well as the continental level. I would like to call upon our states uh, to ensure that this is done. However, human rights depends on an Africa at peace, a prosperous Africa. And for this purpose, peace is essential, vital, and a priority.
5: President Deby also called for the youth to be given priority.
3: The other priority is our youth. Our youth deserve our particular attention. Here and now, we are going to Think over convening an extraordinary session of the Assembly, which, among others, will ponder over this phenomenon which is bleeding Africa, the, the migration of our youth towards Europe. Many, unfortunately, are at the very bottom of the seas.
5: Rwanda will host the 27th African Union Summit. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Glandra Matlangu in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: The African Union has decided to employ diplomacy as opposed to forceful military intervention in Burundi. It has decided to send a special high-level delegation to engage with Burundi and encourage it to accept the troops. This was one of the resolutions of the just-concluded African Union Summit in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Koleta Wanjohi has more.
6: Conflict in Burundi began in mid-2015 when President Pierre Nkurunzinza decided to contest for a third term and the opposition in his country led protests against this, saying that he had already served his time. Months later, tension and human rights violations continue to be reported in Burundi. A decision passed by the African Union Peace and Security Council last year to send African troops for peacekeeping into the country was denied by the government of Burundi And all eyes were on the just concluded African Union summit to see if the summit would approve forceful deployment of the 5,000 suggested soldiers, and the African leaders decided not to enforce this military intervention. The African Union Commissioner for Peace and Security, Ishmael Shergui, explains the leaders have decided to send a high-level delegation to Burundi instead to encourage it to accept to return to dialogue with its opposition and to accept the peacekeeping troops.
7: If Burundi accepts, it would be a force that would uh, tackle the issues I have mentioned, that is disarming the, mili- the militia, civilian protests protection in collaboration with uh, the local police forces, facilitation of the work of uh, human rights uh, observers in the country, the gathering or collection of all weapons that are circulating illegally in the country, and uh, also deploying within the country as and when necessary.
6: This force is expected to be situated at the borders of the country. However, the presidential adviser of Burundi, Alain Nyamitwe, says that Burundi is not ready to compromise on the idea of having foreign troops in its territory.
8: Uh, on the issue of, um, of deployment of troops, we have already made our position very clear.
6: Commissioner Shergui says that the African heads of state also decided to lobby for extra support from the international community in order to equip the peacekeeping mission in Somalia, AMISOM, and also speed up the formation of Somalia's security forces for them to take over as soon as possible.
7: It is important that the international community realize that terrorism today is a global phenomenon and we need a collective effort from the international community because terrorists can travel far and wide to commit these uh, nefarious acts.
6: The African Union has resolved to hold a special summit later in the year to discuss the issue of migration that directly affects especially African youth. Other resolutions reached by the African Union Summit in Addis Ababa include the protection of human rights, especially the rights of women, speeding up the implementation of alternative sources of funding other than donor funding, and also putting more effort to ensure that Africa's Development Agenda 2063 program progresses positively. Koleta for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa.
1: It's 8.13 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 902. In what is seen as a surprise move, the authorities in Khartoum have opened Sudan's borders with their southern neighbor, South Sudan. The border has remained closed for five years since South Sudan broke away from the north to officially become an independent country in 2011. James Manula has more
9: the opening of the border between sudan and its southern neighbor south sudan has automatically paved the way for improvement of frosty relations between the two nations the opening also ends a series of accusations and counter accusations from each country that the other is supporting rebels the authorities in khartoum the capital of sudan had accused the Juba government of supporting rebels plotting to topple the government of President Omar Hassan Ahmed El Bashir. Juba also claimed that President El Bashir's administration had provided financial and military support to South Sudan rebel leader Riek Machar. Each country vehemently denied the accusations, but the five years have seen the countries going at each other's jugulars. Sudan's Information Minister Ahmed Bilal tersly explains why the opening of the border is important to Sudan and South Sudan.
10: This can lead to stabilization. We are suffering also from their instability. So stability comes. Everything can be smooth. Everything can be normalized.
9: South Sudan Foreign Affairs Minister Baranaba Mariale Benjamin is optimistic that the two countries would work together amicably. Economically, Benjamin says, South Sudan is extremely important to its northern neighbor. It is by far Sudan's main trading partner in terms of exports. Shortly before the border was opened, South Sudan President Salva Kiir ordered his troops to pull back to 8 kilometers from the borderline with the Sudan. Manasel Weth, one of South Sudan's political and economic experts, explains why President Kir made the order to his troops.
11: The reason why President Salva Kiir has to, to ensure that his troops move 8 kilometers to South Sudan is basically to be able to show Sudan that we want to work together.
9: South Sudan political and economic expert Manasel Weth turned to the reason that compelled the Khartoum authorities to open the border.
11: What is Khartoum or President Bashir to be able to do the same thing in the same economic uh, crisis in, in Sudan. The picture right now on the table is economic viability of the two states. Sudan does not move forward until he has to normalize trade so that is able to get trade benefit from South Sudan. and South Sudan sees itself that it's as a ban of collapse because of the
12: economic crisis we' are facing at the
11: moment. and therefore the idea of security issues because they are not really immediate issues at the moment.
9: South Sudan political and economic expert Man with. It may be imperative to point out that South Sudan took much of what was known as the Sudan Oil Reserves before splitting from the north to become an independent country in 2011. However, South Sudan later agreed to pay Khartoum in the north a fee to access the international market with her oil through its pipelines. Now, That the border has opened, Khartoum has hinted that it may have to reduce the fee. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
1: Meanwhile, the exiled leader of the opposition in South Sudan, Dr. Riek Machar, says they have reached a deadlock in drafting a new transitional constitution on which the transitional government of national unity will be formed. In an exclusive interview with SABC News in his hideout in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, Machar accused President Salva Kiir's government of violating the agreement brokered by IGAD and South Africa. Machar also denounced the increased number of from 10 to 28, the arrest of opposition members and the state of emergency in his country, saying opposition members cannot move freely. This report, Pantebo Mokobo.
13: I'm deeply disappointed that the signatories to the peace agreement failed to meet the 22nd January deadline for the formation of the transitional government of national unity. I call on all parties urgently to resolve the disputes that are preventing the establishment of the government. The parties must praise the interest of their young nation and its people who have suffered long enough above their own.
11: Patience from the United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon is running out. The political turmoil in South Sudan is far from over. Attempts to bring warring parties together failed again this weekend when President Salva Geer and his rival Rick Machar couldn't meet as planned at the AU summit which ended in Addis Ababa on Sunday. The two were to discuss the future of their country especially the delayed formation of a transitional government of national unity in Juba and what hinders the implementation of the peace deal signed in August last year. President Geer skipped the gathering citing pressing issues back home. But Dr. Rick Machar says the president is deliberately violating the terms and conditions of the agreement.
4: The teams working on this process have reached more or less a deadlock, particularly one issue, the number of states in South Sudan. The agreement is to place that the number of states is 10, the existing ones. But since October second, President Selva has declared 28 states, which is ultra-virus, to the agreement. It's a violation, and it is an obstacle to getting a constitution. If we don't have a constitution, it would be difficult to form a government.
11: Again, the two parties are fighting over who should be the presiding office after the formation of the new transitional government in that country. The government wants the current speaker to chair the National Assembly, while Machai and his team want the new speaker.
4: Currently, there are two issues which we think we could resolve. One of them is when the Transitional National Assembly sits, the first sitting, who would share it? The norm is always the most elderly person would share it. The government is saying their current speaker. So we're saying no, that's not possible. There's another issue on whether we have presidential advisors. This is not mentioned in the agreement, but these are issues that we can discuss. The Transitional National Legislative Assembly is a new one, so it cannot be shared by the current speaker.
11: And the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says the two parties must be held responsible for the sufferings of the South Sudanese people. Mm.
13: It is critical that the African Union Member States and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAT, hold the signatories accountable for following through on their commitments. The United Nations stands ready to lend its full support to President Festus Mohai, the African Union High Representative, and IGAT in their efforts to end the unimaginable suffering of the South Sudanese
11: people. Dr. Rick Machai has since refused to take the blame, insisting that he will not return home until the state of emergency is lifted, political detainees released and freedom of movement observed.
4: I want to know what is it that I have not implemented from my side to take a blame. You know this idea of sheer blame, balanced blame, doesn't help. Its fate should be called as fate. The state of emergency should have been lifted. There are still arrests of politicians. We want these political detainees to be released. Uh, Joseph Pocasori is languishing in prison now for no reason. This is unfair. Uh, Suppose I went back to the country and the state of emergency is on and I want to visit South Africa, I would be told, no, unless the president has allowed you to leave, it's not
11: right. However, the African Union is optimistic that peace will finally return to South Sudan and is calling on all parties to immediately implement the agreement. I am Tebogo Adi Sababa in Ethiopia.
1: United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon visited drought-affected communities in Ethiopia on the margins of the just-concluded African Union Summit in the capital, Addis Ababa. The country is facing its worst drought in three decades, and the window of opportunity to avert a catastrophe is very rapidly closing. That's according to UN, Secretary Co- UN Resident Coordinator in Ethiopia, Ahuna Isiokonwa Onochi, who says UN agencies need billion to help feed and support more than 10 million people in that country. She says the funding shortfalls could hinder aid delivery in the coming months.
14: Historically, Ethiopia is one of those countries that's quite vulnerable to chronic and uh, cyclical drought conditions. But what we're experiencing today uh, with two failed rainy seasons, plus El Nino effects, uh, has really devastated lives and livelihoods of people in six of the country's regions. But of course, this is not the Ethiopia of the past. We have today uh, much more resilient people, but also we have a government that is more in control of the situation and uh, that owns the response to the crisis itself.
1: Have you had a chance to travel to some of the regions
14: I have indeed uh, in the northern part of the country and uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to the women in the community that we visited and it was clear uh, from what they were saying that they had received some support from government but of course they were struggling. Many of the children were having to walk long distances to fetch water and this was affecting school attendance but one of the things that i picked up also was the sheer resilience of the people and their determination to survive this situation uh, but also the solidarity within the communities that community i visited had only one water point and there was a, an elderly woman who had been given the task of holding the key to that water point so that the allocation of water of course the community had to ration water could be organized. But really, when I weighed all of this, it was just like a drop in the ocean because the crisis is really uh, bigger than any community is able to cope with.
1: Earlier, you spoke about um, the previous droughts that Ethiopia has gone through. Is there any way to compare what's happening now with that drought 30 years ago?
14: I would actually say because the numbers of Ethiopians have increased since then that it's a much bigger crisis. We're not seeing the famine that was seen then because precisely of what I said earlier, that you have a much stronger governance system and the more resilient communities. Uh, the government some years ago introduced the Productive Safety Net Program, PSMP, which uh, really addresses the needs of the chronically vulnerable people in some of these climate-challenged regions, and that has helped a great deal because we could be counting uh, 18 million people if we didn't have that program. Of course, we also see a lot of support from the international community to support Ethiopia's development. This is one of the fastest growing economies in the world, and certainly in Africa, with double-digit numbers. And I think people have been a little bit confused by that narrative and wonder why, you know, you have these two uh, situations happening in tandem. But I think one thing to note is that worry not for that good economic performance. The government wouldn't have been able to put forward the $300 million, which is unprecedented, that it has invested in solving this crisis. So these are fundamental shifts in the country that you know make the difference between now and the
1: 80s. Is there anything you think our listeners should know or um, any other information you would like to share with us?
14: Yes, thank you. I think the first thing to know is that we do have an opportunity here to save lives and protect livelihoods because there was very good early warnings on this crisis. We still have a window of opportunity to uh, make sure that this doesn't get into a uh, catastrophe, but that window is very rapidly closing. We don't have any money to procure food after April this year there is no knowing how people are going to cope because the resources that are required, which is at the moment $1.4 billion, uh, we only have a fraction of that raised up to date. Why is that important? Because it's largely a food crisis. It takes an average of three to four months to actually procure and get the food transported into the country. If we're going to meet needs as of May, we should have the money to, this month actually, to start procuring that amount of food that is needed, and we don't. Um, and that's, uh, that's really the note of urgency that comes with this.
1: And that was UN Resident Coordinator in Ethiopia, Ahuna Ezio Konwa Onochi, speaking to Diane Penn. A delegation of American congressmen recently visited the Democratic Republic of Congo to ensure authorities there that Congolese children adopted by American parents will be taken care of. The official trip of these American congressmen, both Democrats and Republicans, has come after the DRC government announced a new adoption draft of law to be presented very soon into the parliament. Jean-Noel Bamweze reports from
8: Kinshasa. It's indeed 400 Congolese children who have been legally adopted by American families and are still here in the Democratic Republic of Congo since the country's authorities decided to halt children adoption in September 2013. The decision followed allegations of adopted children being mistreated abroad. The official trip of both Democrats and Republican congressmen here aims to ensure DRC authorities, including Parliament Speaker and other MPs, that Congolese children adopted by American parents will be well taken care of. Edward Ross is the head of the delegation.
15: We wanted to assure the Speaker and the other members of the Parliament, uh, this delegation of members of Congress with us, both Democrats and Republicans, one of the issues discussed was uh, the issue of uh, 400 adopted children who have gone through the court system here in Congo, and uh, parents in the United States have adopted these children, and we understand that there is a new draft law recently that the interministerial working group have prepared to present to the president. And we appreciate that step, and we wanted to assure the speaker and the other members of the parliament uh, that uh, these children were adopted by caring, loving parents in the United States.
8: This has come after the DRC government announced the new adoption draft of law to be presented very soon into the parliament here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The new draft of law is a way of fighting against the human trafficking and comes with reforms including the adoption matter to be dealt with by high-level appropriate courts. Lambert Mende is the Congolese government spokesperson. This draft of law on international adoption of Congolese children obliges the government to fight against the human trafficking and other possible risks. Children can face after they leave their natural environment for permanent care in other countries. The draft of law is to be presented on relevant time. About 1,300 children adopted by parents from different countries, including France, Belgium, and the USA, were hit by the suspension measure. It's only in November 2015 that authorities here approved 72 children for exit papers. 14 of them went to USA, while others joined adoptive parents in other countries. Jean-Noel Bamweze, Channel Africa. Kinshasa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, African leaders fail to authorize a proposed peacekeeping force to stem violence in Burundi. South Sudan's exiled rebel leader, Rehika Machal, says they've reached a deadlock in drafting a new transitional constitution on which the transitional government of national unity will be formed, and international donors have failed to deliver $1.9 billion in promised funds to help West African countries recover from the Ebola epidemic that killed more than 11,000 people. Those are the stories making headlines.
10: Channel Africa. Blunter. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown.
11: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchema. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is
12: Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi.
0: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
1: <laughs> in
4: Lesotho. <inaudible> <inaudible> reporting for Channel Africa, Muaegi Konyo in Nairobi.
0: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
4: It's
1: 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, West African countries are being encouraged to transform their economies to prevent young people from abandoning their homelands for a better life abroad. That recommendation comes from Mohammed Ibn Champas, head of the United Nations office in the region who says European countries could also consider exporting low-skills jobs to Africa to help curb youth migration. Mr. Imber Chabas ha- was recently in New York, where he sat down with Tigui Chifarwe of UN Radio to discuss why migration is at the heart of relations between the two continents.
10: The issue of migration is one that is, of course, right now very much at the center of uh, the security and political concerns of West Africa, but is also one that uh, is at the heart of the partnership, the relations between Africa and Europe. It requires continuous dialogue and uh, to come up with some realistic, you know, concrete suggestions which will indicate that Europe takes this issue on the same plane as it does migration from other parts of the world.
16: One reason why uh, the youth in particular migrate is simply because there's no jobs available. So how do you advise possibly uh, the countries from the sub-region to find solutions?
10: Well, I mean, quite frankly, it is not nuclear science. As long as the African countries continue to export their jobs through export of raw materials, then there will be a shortfall in creating employment for the highly trained and large populations who are now having access to education. There needs to be a transformation on the African side of the economic structures to add more value to products, a process of beneficiation which creates more job opportunities and higher paying jobs. On the European side, there has to be this understanding also that perhaps some of the low-skilled, low-level jobs that are normally in Europe needs to be exported. One of the success stories
16: in 2015 was the elections in Burkina Faso. What was your personal role in preventing complete chaos since the fall of Blaise Compaoré?
10: Well, from the very beginning, it was evident to me that in my role, quick action was required. It was an insurrection. And the dynamic of these kind of phenomena is that their outcomes can be very unpredictable. So there has to be countermeasures from the beginning to channel the anger and the frustrations in positive and constructive direction. This is what we sought to do, and I feel happy that we were successful.
1: That was Mohammed Ibn Chambers head of the United Nations office in West Africa speaking to UN Radios Tigwe Chifero in New York. It's 37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The World Health Organization says the expansion of the terrorist group ISIL is affecting the delivery of humanitarian aid in Libya. The agency is working to reach millions of people in the North African country, which has fractured in the five years since the 2011 overthrow of the late President Muammar Gaddafi. Dr. Syed Jaffa Hussain. Hussein, WHO representative in Libya, says ISIL now controls roads and territory in some parts of the country, thus making it extremely difficult or impossible to access people in these areas.
17: Well, the humanitarian situation is quite bad. It's not good. Libya has 6.3 million population. Almost 50% of this population need urgent humanitarian assistance, not only health, food, water sanitation, shelter, protection, and obviously health. The Libya has resources, they are not accessible to the government. That's why they are looking toward the humanitarian community to come forward and support. And if we don't act urgently, we may lose very precious lives in, in the near future.
6: Which kind of disease is facing WHO in Libya?
17: Well, most uh, importantly, we are struggling uh, with uh, providing support to the Libyan government and Libyan people and partners for communicable and non-communicable diseases. Now, among communicable, HIV AIDS, uh, TB, uh, waterborne diseases like hepatitis, for example, enteric fever, measles. And leishmaniasis are the diseases which are most predominantly uh, affecting the Libyan population. There are diseases which were not there before, communicable, like malaria, for example, but they are now coming again because of the bad environmental and humanitarian situation. In the chronic diseases or non-communicable, diabetes, hypertension and heart diseases and cancers are the most predominantly uh, diseases. Uh, And then finally, injuries because there is a conflict going on, so there are a lot of trauma patients coming from the conflict areas and they need urgent assistance.
6: Due to the ISIS uh, expansion, uh, how is affected the humanitarian situation in Syria?
17: The information and briefings which the UN security is sharing with us on daily basis, it seems that IS is increasing its presence in Libya uh, from south to further eastward, and that is affecting the humanitarian assistance on three ways. and because they now control some of the roads and some of the geographical areas so pushing life-saving supplies to them is extremely difficult or, or impossible uh, because they also are resorting to terrorist activities like bomb blasts, shooting and whatever uh, obviously uh, many people end up wounded, severely wounded and then thirdly the areas they control uh, because we don't have access to these areas we don't know what, what is happening to the health of the people who are, who are there in Surge or, or, or in Derna or other places.
6: And finally, how the access uh, and the security is having an impact operation in Libya.
17: It is negatively affecting the humanitarian response uh, and different humanitarian agencies are resorting to different means of uh, delivering or implementing their programs, uh, especially the humanitarian programs. For example, WHO, we are using three modalities. One, we do have national staff embedded within the MOH uh, and with partners in, uh, in different parts of Libya. Second, we have in some NGOs which are, are implementing partners We use the Libyan Red Crescent also to deliver services because they can access many areas which we cannot. And the third is we bring the Libyan experts and healthcare workers to Tunis to train them and to advise them how they can deliver their emergency programs and then then we can support them with technical assistance but with also logistic assistance, medicine, supplies and incentives so that they can go back and implement their programs.
1: And that was Dr. Syed Jaffa Hussein, World Health Organization representative in Libya, speaking to UN Radio's Laura Pugwe Alia. Lawyers representing the widows of the deceased minors and those injured at Marikana in South Africa's northwest province in August 2012 say the end is near. The legal representatives met with state lawyers in Santa, north of Johannesburg, on Friday to discuss issues around compensation for the affected families. The lawyers were part of a meeting which also included representatives of the presidency, the Ministry of Police, families of the 34 deceased... And the injured miners, or Sanisitole has
18: more.
12: (laughs) The mood was jovial. Outside the venue where state lawyers and representatives of those who lost their loved ones and those who were injured during the shooting by the police were meeting.
16: I want affordable competition that will suit the widows and the injured uh, members at Marikana and the other thing that I want to see happening is... Justice.
12: One thing which I would like to see in coming from this is uh, the families becoming happier about the decision which will be taken from here. Oh, no. And it's not only about the families, you know, all the members which they have been suffered. It has been four years since 34 miners were shot dead and 10 people were killed in Marikana days before the shooting on 16 August 2012 the americana support campaign spokesperson richard says compensation talks are not victory
3: we don't want to mix up the struggle for compensation with the struggle for justice they are two separate processes we have seen the failure to date to act on those recommendations for the commissions which state that the police need to be investigated over a hundred policemen we'd like to see The National Prosecution Authority respond to the summons which were laid against people like Cyril Ramaphosa and Nati Matechwa.
12: It has taken four years before the lawyers could begin talks around compensation. The lawyers say claims could not be constituted before the commission could submit its report. One of the legal representatives is advocate Dalim Pofu, who is representing the injured minors. There was an invitation, and uh, we responded to that invitation. How we go forward is a matter that obviously we have to take to our various clients and then convey to to the government side. The lawyers for the affected parties will be having follow-up meetings with the state starting next month to try to come up with an amicable solution. Advocate Jeremy Gondlet explains.
14: This is work in progress. Uh, It's very important we all realize the importance of finding an appropriate end to Maracana and it was a very good meeting in very good spirit but it's early days yet and we do need to talk to those who in fact give us instructions.
12: No one who has legitimate claims to make regarding the incident will be excluded from this process.
1: And that report by Horisani Setole. It's 8.45 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso
19: 750 jobs have been lost in Kabwe, Zambia, following the implementation of the revised power utilities ZESCO tariffs and continued load shedding. The Central Chamber of Commerce and Industry says that the number of job losses in Kabwe's manufacturing and hospitality sectors is expected to rise, adding that more workers will suffer job losses because of the drastic decision by ZESCO to triple its commercial tariffs. Rwanda's aviation industry players have called for the implementation of the planned open airspace along the Northern Corridor states. The East African Community Northern Corridor member countries agreed to open their airspaces effective January 1st. The members include Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya and South Sudan. EAC is one of the regions with high travel charges, which is partly blamed on closed airspaces, among others. Senegal has hailed the discovery of offshore gas reserves, estimated 450 billion cubic meters, as a -a game-changer for the West African nation. U.S. firm Cosmos says that the Guambil One Exploration Well, located in the northern part of St. Louis, offshore Profond License Area in Senegal, has made a significant gas discovery. The company says it is a world-class gas resource That extends into both Senegal and Mauritania. Turnover at Côte d'Ivoire's national airline, Air Côte d'Ivoire, is up 34%. The company, which was founded in 2013, plans to increase its destinations from 19 to 22 and seeks to raise capital to fund an increase in its fleet. Air Côte is 65% state-owned, with Air France holding a 20% stake, and Ivorian private investor, a goldenrod, holding 15%. Egypt's the biggest lender, the National Bank of Egypt, has provided more than 2.5 billion U.S. dollars to cover import payments in the last three months. Egypt, which depends heavily on imports, has been suffering from a worsening dollar crunch. In its latest effort to curb dollar spending on imports, Egypt announced on Sunday that it would raise the tariff rates on a series of goods from February the 1st. It has already taken other measures to curb imports and aims to reduce its import bill by 25% in 2016 from 80 billion US dollars in 2015. The US dollar trades at 1548 in South Africa, 1112 in Botswana, 1130 in Zambia. 00 British pound, 92 euro, gold 1120 dollars, platinum 871 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil $35, 35 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabiso (laughs) Lohoku.
1: Thank you, Tabi. So a sports update up next with Msabudi Makura.
16: Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans and starting off with football news. Football Kenya Federation has until the 9th of February to register, or rather to get registered and compiled with the 2013 Sports Act. This is an ultimatum issued by the Sports Dispute Tribunal after receiving information that another faction led by presidential candidate Semi Shawela as well as Goshi Malango alongside former Harambe Stars goalkeeper Mohamed Abbas have applied for registration of societies seeking to be registered as the recognized officials of FKF. The verdict of the jury was delivered by the panel's assistant chairperson, Elena Shavika, after a hearing from the Federation's attorney, Kevin Ombati.
6: Mr. Ombati, we are giving you one week, seven days, uh, so that you talk to your clients. They either come to confirm they are complying or not. Because the elections are on 10th, so you would come to tell me the elections are tomorrow, so we are not filing anything. I think we are going to take a firm decision on that day. So if you've complied, well and good. That's what we want every sports federation to comply. Because it's a law, whether you like it or not, you have to comply.
16: Cricket News. Um, South Africa has added Paceman Merchant Delanga to their squad for the 5-1 day International Series against England. Merchant gives the squad options with the France bowlers because there will be no Dale Steyn, Vernon Philander as well as Kyle Abbott. Dale Steyn missed most of the test series which England won 2-1 with a shoulder injury while Vernon Philander has not played since the early stages of the tour of India in November last year when he tore his ankle ligaments. On to Rugby News, the South African Springboks Sevens team moved to the top of the HSBC World Rugby Sevens series standings despite suffering a heartbreaking 24-21 loss to arch rivals New Zealand in the final of the Wellington Sevens on Sunday. New Zealand scored three tries in the last two minutes to clinch another epic final battle between the two rugby superpower houses at the West Park Stadium. The Blitzborger collected 19 valuable points and they now have a two-point lead on top of the league standings after collecting 54 points in the three rounds so far. Head coach Neil Powell is a disappointed man. Yeah,
7: they-
19: Disappointed with the result, but there's no way I can be disappointed with the effort and the, and the performance the guys put in. You couldn't ask for, couldn't ask for a better performance and a better effort from the guys. They, they really did well and they, did, they deserved more than a second place um, out of this tournament. So um, yeah, we will probably be down a bit uh, tonight and uh, maybe tomorrow,
12: but we'll put it behind us and uh, we've got another tournament in Sydney next weekend.
16: Round four of the World Series will be staged in Sydney, Australia, this coming weekend. On to tennis news. World number 1 Novik Djokovic defeated Andy Murray in straight sets to win his 6th Australian Open title and condemn the Briton to a 5th final defeat on Sunday. The Serb won 6 one 5 7 um, rather 7-5, 7-6 six, six, um, to claim his sixth Melbourne title tying the record of Australia's Roy Emerson. Djokovic also draws level with tennis greats Bjorn Boch and Rod Lever on 11 Grand Slam titles. This is what Djokovic had to say after his win.
6: Mr. Roy Emerson who is uh, not here with us tonight but we miss him, we miss you Roy. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great privilege to... Uh, to uh, equal and even and uh, and match the record of uh, six australian opens is as, uh, as one of the greatest players to ever to ever play this game so
16: Meanwhile, Germany's Angelique Kerber stunned world number one Serena Williams in three sets to win her first Grand Slam title at the Australian Open on Saturday. Kerber, seeded seventh, won a thrilling final 6 4 three, six, 6 4 at Melbourne Park. The 28 year old is the first German to win a major singles title since Steffi Graf at the 1999 French Open. Kerber says this has been the best two weeks of her life.
2: You know, the best moments, I had the best two weeks in my life and uh, the, the best moment of my career last night when, when I won the match point and uh, really take the Grand Slam. That was always my dream and uh, my dream came true when I was a kid. I was always dreaming about this to, to win one day a Grand Slam and uh, I think uh, I had a really crazy week with the
16: first round where I was match point down. But uh, yeah, the best weeks of my life. That's why you sports news at this hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, Amuka Na Unai.
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, the African Union will not intervene militarily in Burundi. UN Secretary Ban- General Ban Ki-moon visits drought-stricken areas in Ethiopia and U.S. congressmen discuss the adoption of Congolese children with authorities in the DRC. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Janine Kutzer and technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info@channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of our hour for the news is South Africa's foremost musical directors and composers Kaifa Suminga with his song Matsuali.
15: Oh